0: Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. Happy New Year, Jeff. Happy New Year. My God,
1: it's already the
0: new year. Well, it's not already the new year. It's already the end of January because of the delay between when we record and when we publish a podcast. So we're almost a month late. We're almost up to, you know, (laughs) Groundhog Day already.
1: I know. It's bad enough that, I mean, I don't know about you. I've been really busy lately. And so time seems very slippery and shifty. And so now I have to think, okay, Uh, When is this coming out? Okay. Happy end of January. We're well into the new year. Yes. And here we are. What is the new year going to hold for us, for you, for me? We discussed the idea of New
0: Year's resolutions, but no one keeps New Year's resolutions, so there's no point in doing that. Yeah, yeah. We did want to talk about some ideas for things you can do in the new year, new things for the new year, not resolutions like i'm gonna stop smoking, I'm gonna go on a diet. I'm gonna start eating meat, that sort of stuff, but photographic things that you might
1: want to think of doing this year that maybe you haven't done in previous years, yeah, I think it's funny because I don't know, but maybe times have changed or maybe I just don't care as much as I've gotten older. but the idea of setting a bunch of new resolutions like it it feels like that used to be a thing, and now I think more and more people at least the people that I follow on social media and my friends. You know, January 1st is just an arbitrary date, and if you do something, great. But I have found it really helpful to see a bunch of photographers that I follow look back on the shots that they took in the last year and just get a general sense of things that you want to do in the new year rather than just, you know, I'm going to go shoot more. Well, okay, that's fine, but it's it's so vague. And we like to talk about having projects on this podcast. So having some direction, I think, can be helpful, right? Just as a framing device.
0: Right. My thought was, what new photographic skills can we learn this year? And they don't have to be 50 of them. You don't have to learn, you know, wet plate, whatever it's called, photography and, and dark room editing and all sorts of... It, Focus on one skill that you can hone over the year, something that maybe you've never done, you've always wanted to do, but something that you're not going to learn in a week. Something that's going to take time because with a lot of photographic skills, I'm going to just throw out an example. Let's say you shoot black and white film. You want to learn how to use color filters. So red, orange, yellow filters are used to enhance the contrast when you're shooting black and white. You don't learn that in a week. If you're shooting film, you need months to try in different conditions with different films to get them developed and and printed and all of that. So it's not something you can just learn in, you know, a night course for a couple of months.
1: Right, right. Or, you know, hey, I watched a video once about this on YouTube, so I guess that makes me an expert. <laughs> Cuz yeah, as we know, the the more you shoot, the more you you actually do it, the better you get. But uh it is sort of nice starting the year like this because then you can say like I have the freedom and the time to do that. So the question is, do you want to start or do you want me to start? I'll start because I bought something last year
0: and I didn't really use it. And I want to learn how to use it. And it's really a basic photographic tool that you know how to use, but that I've just never needed to use. It's a flash. Ah. It's a flash that goes on top of my camera. I bought one specifically for my Leica Q2 monochrome because I like the idea of using the flash during daytime to highlight things, either on camera or off camera. This wouldn't be distant landscapes. Obviously, these would be things close. It could be portraits. It could be shots of trees and houses and macro shots and all that. But I want to learn to use a flash. Now, this is a flash that's automatic. Is it TTL? Is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. So the flash automatically adjusts for the exposure and that makes it easier than having to calculate yourself. But it's still, it tilts on all these different angles. It has a white card that comes up to reflect. It has a white thing that goes on to diffuse it. I mean, there are a hundred different possibilities for using this flash and I don't know how
1: to do it. Yes, that is an absolutely great big project. Well, I shouldn't say it that way because then it sounds daunting. Uh, I, I mean, flash photography can be very daunting. And I think the key is the way you're approaching it, which is I've got a flash that I can put on my camera and I'm just going to accentuate the light. Because this is definitely one of those things where you can watch a million YouTube videos and you can buy... Joe McNally's books. Joe McNally is a master of this. We'll link to uh, our episode with Joe McNally just because uh, I thought it was one of our <laughs> more fun episodes. Uh, but like he is really really good at this and you can go crazy. I mean you could set up scenes with five or six different flashes working in tandem and Right,
0: but I just want one and and see one is actually more difficult than using multiple flashes, right? Because you've, well, it tilts in all directions. Um, If you're outdoors, you're pretty much shooting forward and you have the option of the card to reflect and the diffuser and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you have two flashes, then you have a lot more options. You can have one that's pointing directly from the side and one that's pointing up on the other side. You you get all sorts of, uh, you know, angles like that. I want to try with just one flash and see what the possibilities are. There are some street photographers that used flash a lot even during the daytime. And what it does is if you're capturing a person, it kind of makes a vignette around them, right? It lightens the person. And since the exposure is based on the whole frame, it darkens the background. But it's more than that. It can it can liven up certain scenes. And again, I don't really shoot a lot of portraits. So it's more objects and trees. When you shoot a tree, trees are in shadow, right? And if you try to expose for the branches of the tree. Everything behind is generally going to be too bright. So this is the kind of thing I want. How much can I balance the light that I'm getting on a, a close area with the background?
1: Yeah. Well, and that's the key right there because it's very easy. Uh, I think I suffered from this, especially when I first started using a flash because I was thinking very technically. Um, my the The flash, actually, the flash that I still use was one that I bought for my Nikon and it had TTL. And so it was all about like, what's the exposure and what's the the amount, uh, the, the power of the flash and the, the zoom level of the flash. Like there's so much technical stuff that you can get into. And what's key is you have to remember to try to put that stuff aside, especially if you do have something where TTL comes into play, where it, the camera is going to be doing a lot of the metering and, and dealing with that for you, because what you're looking at is direction of light and that's something that we do normally because you look at a scene and like like with your tree maybe you have light that's you know hitting the bottom of the tree because of the overhang of the leaves but you want a little bit more light on the inside well you're still talking about the direction of of sunlight in that case but now you have the ability to add your own direction or you know, even Use that flash at a really low power setting so that you do get a little bit more of that detail without going into... Without blowing it out. Without blowing it out and without having to rely on increasing the shadows and stuff later in post-production. Right. And so, so you're talking about direction of light. You're talking about character of light. Uh, You know, whether it's it's really hard and direct, whether it's diffused and ultimately that gives you more creative choices and you just have to experiment a lot with it. Yes,
0: there is a lot of experimentation. And as I said, there's the angle, there's the. Do you shoot straight? Do you shoot with the reflecting card behind the flash? Do you shoot with the diffuser on top of it? Do you add another diffuser in front of it? Or do you put it on a tripod and then use a reflector someplace to get some of the light in a different angle? There are lots of options once you start working with light. Yeah, And yes, it's really complicated when you multiply and have two or three or four or five lights, but actually might be easier with four or five because you're setting up everything before your shot, in other words, everything's static. You you you're not walking around with a camera using four or five lights. You're in a studio or you're outdoors, but you're setting everything up so you know what the light's going to look like. You're doing test shots, whereas I'll be walking around with my camera doing the same photos that I usually do, but seeing if the flash can enhance them in some ways.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think uh, the more lights that you add, the more uh, complexity you're going to run into, uh, but I think one thing that you pointed out was key is that in a situation where you're using a lot more lights and you're positioning them, you are controlling your environment more. Right. And if you just have the one flash, you can absolutely control your environment. I mean, like, for example, for years, you know, we just come off of the Christmas holiday. I've used a single flash basically pointed up at the ceiling that I have like sitting on top of my um, TV cabinet. When we unwrap presents, so I can take some pictures while we're unwrapping presents send to the family, and all it does is it just fires a bright pop of light at the ceiling and that goes up and then it illuminates the whole space and makes it more makes it easier for the camera to to pick up things more alive yeah more more alive. Um, you know, because Christmas morning in Seattle is pretty dark. It can be really dark. Yes. Um, you know, and, and so that's a good example of having a single flash with a, a controlled environment and you know what you're doing. So, you know, like take that, set that aside. And then the type that you're talking about, that sounds like you're most interested in is being able to just wander around and shoot the way you normally shoot, where you're looking for scenes, you're looking for light. And then asking yourself, okay, how can I accentuate this? Maybe, maybe I, you know, set this up so that there's just a little bit more light coming from one direction. Or these flowers are gorgeous, but you know, just a tiny, tiny percentage of light, more light on them will boost them in some way.
0: Also, we tend to visit old churches in the area, and that too is interesting to get some extra light. A lot of these have trees around them, so they're Shaded and to get some extra light, particularly inside where it's very dark, but also outside when you want to get the details of some of these buildings.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: And do they let you use the flashes inside? There's never anyone in these churches. These are little tiny village churches. There's never
1: anyone there. Oh, okay.
0: It's not like there's people actually doing things.
1: <laughs> I was just thinking of you know the churches I've been to on vacation, but those are usually larger. Yeah, like
0: Notre Dame in Paris. Yeah, they yeah, probably exactly. wouldn't. Well, it wasn't open when you were there, but they probably not let you use a flash.
1: Yeah, exactly. So my question to you is, you have that goal. What are your steps toward getting there? I don't mean to sound like like super specific, but.
0: No, no, no. The the first step is to put it on the camera and just start shooting. Yes. In, in the most normal way, the flash pointing forward to see the results. And then Trying the variables and learning how the flash works, talking about power and, and angle and diffusers and all that. But the first step is to just use the raw flash as it is and see what happens. The, because if you're setting up a fashion shoot, you can turn your lights on to get everything set. You know, like in a theater with a flash, you only see it when you've taken the photo. And when the flash flashes, it looks too bright, even though it's not going to be bright in the camera because the camera is stopped down enough. So it's not too bright. So you can't see it until you've got the photos. You can set up a fashion shoot with your lights on permanently to get all the angles just right. And it's actually quite easy when you're doing it that way. Whereas with a single flash moving around, you don't have that option.
1: Yeah, yeah. So expect a lot of experimentation, Uh, at least from my experience, expect to shoot some shots and be like, well, why does it look like this? Because according to my camera, everything should be fine. And yet something is blown out. Right. Uh, so, you know, that's
0: exposure bracketing is important. Exposure bracketing. And if not, be- do do one shot, do another one at, you know, 1 f-stop higher, another one at 1 f-stop higher mm-hmm. to see the results because even though theoretically the camera's going to get things in focus, it's not always like that in reality because the light isn't pure. The amount of light that comes back off something isn't always it's more it could be more or less than what the camera is expecting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um I also think it's worth pointing out that I think you have a little bit of an advantage here because you're gonna be shooting black and white. So you're not having to worry about the the color character of the light. Exactly. And so you can just really focus on angle and amount and and all of that. So that's that's great. Okay. So what's your project, Jeff? I have wanted to do more portraiture. And that's something that that I've done a fair amount of, and I say fair meaning, you know, more than once or twice. Uh, but as I go through my my images, I have a lot of images that are, uh, th- they fall into a couple of different buckets. One is landscape imagery, which I love to do, and I have a lot of, a lot of that. Um, I have sort of everyday stuff, but that's just recording, you know, family and things like that. And then I have a few times where I've actually gone and and shot someone's portrait, uh, you know, and been paid to do that. And I like doing it. And I kind of want to do more of it. But I always feel like I am a good portrait photographer, but there's a lot more that I can learn. And it's something that I find I actually enjoy doing. I enjoy the interaction with people. But I also find myself thinking too much about the technical details where it would be much better if I did not have to worry as much about, you know, setting up an external light or um, posing or things like that, and just have that be more of a, I'm not even sure what the term is, like an already there skill. An organic process? More of an organic process. Yeah. So that so that all of the, the technical stuff is not as front of mind it's just stuff that i i know how to do so that i can focus on the person or the the setting and where they are it's like that and so
0: it seems to me there are three elements to portraiture one is the setting you just mentioned it are you shooting them mm-hmm. against a backdrop where it's just a headshot or are you in a coffee shop where you spend half your life or something like that <laughs> the second thing is the person's posing and this is difficult you can You can just rat a tat shoot and you know, maybe catch people in a good expression, but it's hard. I I don't know how to pose. We did an episode with Lindsay Adler who wrote a book about posing and that gives some ideas, but still, most people when you're gonna take a photo, they're just gonna do some silly smile like where they're saying cheese and all that. And the third element, of course, as we were just discussing with Flash, is light. How do you deal with it? The the portrait of someone sitting in a pub by a window with the natural light coming in from the window is very attractive, but it's a bit cliched. You don't want to do that all the time.
1: Right, right. And you want to find situations that's going to reflect this person. Right. And um also like like going back to posing, what I find is even with with people who are, you know, doing a uh like a posed portrait session. Um You know, oftentimes they won't really know what to do. Um, You know, one example is uh, I I did one toward the end of the year, and uh, the guy was very much like, "I don't know how to smile." He's like, "When I smile, it just looks cheesy. Like, like, like it's a big fake smile." And he said, "And if I'm not smiling, I sort of look grumpy." So, you know, what do we do? And basically, I just got him talking and was, you know, firing off a bunch of shots. And it turns out he's a, a big fan of the Marx Brothers. And so you get him talking about the Marx Brothers and he'd be laughing and his like face lights up. And so, you know, trying to to get past that is as much of, of an important factor as, oh, geez, is my flash uh, firing at the right power level? And am I, you know, have I positioned it so that it's, uh, you know, being more flattering to his features, like like all that stuff. And so, like, it it sounds daunting and complicated, and yet I find that I really like it. The problem is, it's not something that I can just go do and walk around. I got to, like, find people to do it, I suppose. And we can reference our episodes that we've uh, had with Valérie Chardin I could go out and just sort of approach people on the street and and try to shoot their portraits like that. Uh, That is still an even more daunting prospect for me.
0: To me, that just seems creepy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't use TikTok often, but I do use it every once in a while for writing about stuff. And Uh I've seen someone who walks up to people, I think it's in France, says, I'm a street photographer, here's my work, I'd love to take pictures of you. And so he sits him down on a park bench or whatever, and he gets pictures. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever seen the person's face. If he's like 30 years old and he's got a couple of cameras, that's OK. I'm 63 and I kind of look like, you know, the, if I go up to some youngish person, it kind of looks seedy. And 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 I just don't feel comfortable <laughs> doing that anyway.
1: I just don't like the yeah. idea. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, that that takes a huge amount of confidence. It takes a huge amount of, uh, I don't know, just presence. You could, and... you
0: could put an ad on Craigslist, say that you're a photographer with a link to your website, and you'd like to take portraits of people. Would you like to have your portrait taken? Come to my house. I will take your portrait. My name is Dexter. <laughs> right. See, that's the thing. Even if you do that,
1: people are going to be suspicious. <laughs> You'll know it's my house because there's a candy truck right in front, and it's got free. <laughs> and candy. there's a clown no no its head no, out of the no sewer
0: grating. yeah. <laughs> or, or you could say, well, let's meet in so at such and such park in the afternoon because I, I can understand that people would be really really creeped out about the idea. Uh, I mean, if yeah. it's friends of yours or friends of friends, that's one thing, right? If they know you, but still, I mean, I'm looking at you here, and I can just imagine you in a trench coat. On a rainy day. Oh, this is bad. This is bad. (laughs) Have you watched that series Slow Horses on Apple TV Plus?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Put you in a trench coat, a dirty trench coat, you would be exactly like that character. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Oh, my God. the, The idea of going up to strangers and asking to take their picture is, you know, it's strange. It is.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, some people are super good at that. And, you know, that's great. That's just personally not my comfort level. Um, hopefully, I will get to a point where I'm more comfortable doing that. But in the meantime, it, uh, I think it's going to be uh, friends and family. Um, th- there's also the possibility, and this is also like a, a bit of another jump, but, uh, you know, hiring a model for a day. There are lots of, you know, lots of resources for sure. bringing in a model, you know, doing it at, you know, some you know, neutral place, not necessarily like come to my studio yes, um,
0: in in your basement where you are in right my now, basement yeah exactly
1: <laughs> it's soundproof exactly
0: <laughs> okay, but wait i've got I've got an idea. you have an indoor market someplace in Seattle, don't you, and I've seen photos from there. What if you were to go there and ask to take pictures of the people working in the market?
1: That's also a possibility, yeah,
0: so they're in their environment, right, and you can take a flash with you because you can't really control the light otherwise. But you'd get the people in their environment while they're working. And you can, you know, show them, take an iPad to show your website and your photos to say, I'm a, you know, an amateur photographer. I write about photography. I need to take some portraits for some articles. Yeah. Um, Something like that. And you'll get people. It's not the same as approaching someone walking down the street. You've got them in their comfortable environment.
1: Yeah. No, no, that's a really good point. It's a really good idea.
0: Now, of course, remember, if you do plan to use these photos in any commercial way, you need a release. Yep. So bring model releases with you.
1: Yeah, you definitely have to do that, too.
0: Because that's another issue you have to worry about. I mean, you can take as many of these photos as you want for your own, you know, personal collection. Um, But if you do even just to illustrate an article, then you got to have a model release.
1: Yep. Yep. This is true. Yeah,
0: it's all. Maybe, maybe, maybe start photographing cats first. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> but, but photographing humans is complicated for for the technical yes, reasons, for the, the the reasons of interaction. But then the legal issues and all, and it's really it's not
1: simple. Yeah, yeah, which is why it's it's kind of a a, a larger goal rather than just sort of walk up and you know I was gonna say shoot someone in the face, but that sounds completely <laughs> wrong. So. <laughs> Why don't we move on to our snapshots?
0: (laughs) Yeah, because we said we wanted to do a short episode and we're at 25 minutes. So let's move on to our snapshots. What have you got?
1: In an earlier episode, and that could have been 100 episodes ago, because here we are at 133, you had mentioned Apple's MagSafe battery charger. that It's just a little tiny battery that you pop onto the back of your your iPhone uh, for a quick charge. I have something that's similar to that. Uh, It's the Anchor. 622 magnetic battery mag go and it's basically the same idea it's a little uh, rectangular blob of battery it charges via usb c and what's nice about it is of course you know it's it's magnetic so it pops onto the phone and it charges right away and it has just this little flap on the back that magnetically attaches to the back and becomes a little stand uh super convenient. And what I like about it, which is the thing that you mentioned with yours too, is it's small. I have a bigger charger that I took with me to Europe and that was great for charging several things. Sometimes I just need a little bit of a boost on my phone. So, um, it's the Anchor 622 MagGo. Uh, it costs $50. I think I got it a little bit less on a, um, black friday sale or holiday sale but um anchor pretty regularly has sales and it comes in a bunch of different colors i got gray that's what i've got what have you got i don't know if i mentioned but um a couple months ago
0: i bought myself a box set of films by vim Venders. he's one of my favorite filmmakers and I've started watching them. And there's one film in particular, Alice in the Cities, I believe it was filmed in 1972, released in 1973. It's a sort of a road movie. In fact, it's the first of Wendor's road movie trilogy. And this character, you see him initially someplace like North Carolina, then he comes up to New York. The air traffic controllers are on strike in Germany, so he can't get a flight home right away. And he meets this woman who wants to go back they're going to fly into Amsterdam. She disappears, leaves her kid with him. So he has to fly back to Germany with her kid oh. and try to find where the grandmother lives, right? Because the kid didn't know her. anything. think he's about 10 years old or something. Couldn't happen these days. You couldn't just go onto a plane with some random young girl that's not in your family, right? Um But what's interesting yeah, about yeah. this film is... Uh the character uh Philip Winter is a journalist and he's supposed to write an article about traveling around the u s but what he's been doing the whole time is he's been using a Polaroid s x seventy to take photos of things and The photos are one of the light motifs of the film as he's going along he's taking all these Polaroid photos and he's putting them in a box and he's saving them in their memories and it it, it the the film is about photography in the same way that it's about this story. Now, the backstory of this is interesting. The SX seventy was not yet released and somehow vendors got a pre-release prototype of it. They had one camera, they had like four boxes of film and that's it. Uh there's an interview on the Blu-ray that I have where he's talking about this, and I'd already read about this in the past. But he became infatuated with the Polaroid SX seventy. He's published books of his Polaroids. There was an exhibition in London, I think just before COVID, of his Polaroids. I think there's even a photo of one of them. Of he drove from New York to California with Annie Leibovitz when she was going to start working for Rolling Stone, and he's got a picture of her driving. So like he met all sorts of famous people even before he was a well-known filmmaker. But the the idea of the Polaroid, and and in this in this interview that's a special feature on the Blu-ray, he was talking about how magical it was for them back then. Uh, If you remember the older Polaroids, you would get the film out and then you would have to rub a kind of stick on it, a, a pink stick, and it smelled and it would develop. Um, the Polaroid SX-70 would develop as you watched it. And it was fascinating. It, it's looking at this now, back at that technology, which was really big in the 1970s. I mean, even Andy Warhol was shooting Polaroids. Yeah. Um, Robert Maplethorpe, tons of people used the SX-70 because of that immediacy. Um, so it's a great film to start with, but the aspect of photography in there, I think, makes it a useful film to mention here.
1: Nice. All right. All right. Until next month, Jeff. <laughs> until next month when we have all of our projects uh, well in hand.
0: <laughs> well, I think we should do a, a follow-up in three months because none of these projects are things that we can talk about in the next episode. Yeah. Oh, so definitely. Maybe in, maybe in the spring, we can start talking about what we've done after the rainy season here ends and after it's not too cold to go outside, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> et
1: cetera, et cetera. All right. See you then. Thanks for listening
0: to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast.